Alright, cool. You, you know what time it is. It's time for the Show of Love podcast. You know who I am and what I do. Rob Shaw, aka the Pod God, aka Harry Potter. And today I have Matt Gentile of the Rebuildable Podcast. And y'all know I'm a sucker for names. Oh, chef's kiss. Magnificent. Rebuildable. Well, you know that, and uh, you know, appreciate you having me on again, Rob, uh, especially after last year with terrible predictions I made about the Bulls. So thank you again. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Rebuildable, I mean, the pun just speaks for itself, right? Like Bulls have been in this rebuilding process for the last four years and build, you know, go off that whole build a bear, rebuild, rebuild the bull. It was just amazing. I was like in a beatnik flow. I was just going like build, rebuild, build a bear, build a bull, rebuild a bull, you know, kind of like that kind of whole thing. No, that is an A1 name. And like what I was saying before we started recording, predictions are finicky. The information you gave us was still good. Mm-hmm. Like you, like you said, you can't predict the midseason trade. So I guess we could start there. Mm-hmm. You guys, Wendell Carter was your guy. <laughs> yes, he was. Correct. Like if I didn't re-listen to our pod, but if I remember, you were huge on Wendell Carter. So for him to get moved midseason for Vucevic, run us through that. All right, so. This will tell you the type of fan and podcaster I am. Um, I won 80 on Wendell Carter probably by February 1st. Um, okay. I had I had turned on him pretty quickly. Um, and it's nothing against him. I think, as I had mentioned on that episode with you last year, I think there was a lot of stank this team had from Jim Boylan. And Wendell Carter, I think, was one of the prime examples of that where he was relegated to really being, you know, a defensive uh, first player, really didn't run the offense through him, didn't really use him a lot offensively. He was basically a decoy. Um, And he really struggled to adapt to playing high post, which if you remember in that podcast, I mentioned that, you know, Billy Donovan has a history with really good high post big men dating back to his college days with Al Horford, Joe Kim Noah, and then in the pros with, you know, Steven Adams and, um, you know, even um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but. Uh, oh, my God, why? Well, he had. Yeah, he had surge for a little. Yeah, it, right. So, right. So he's had guys that usually he can you know, work well with guys who have that ability to pass from the high post, which Wendell Carter did have that background at Duke. You know, he played that role pretty well. But one of the things that you just knew right off the bat, he really struggled to get into the flow of the offense, even with Billy Donovan implementing his system. Now, part of that could have been because of COVID and having, you know, limited offseason, limited time with some of these young guys, but it just wasn't working. And I think... With last year also being a year of evaluation for Arturis Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley, I think they decided that with Zach Levine's improvement and Zach Levine taking another step as a you know all-star caliber player, I think they they knew they wanted to surround him with 
at least all-star fringe all-star talent. And I think that's why that move was made. So I got this dog next to me. You might have to edit this part out. Oh, but, <laughs> um, wait, real but, quick before you continue. Yeah. Um, it just struck me how quick you turned on Wendell Carter. Um, because you said February and my mind has for 30 of the 31 years I've been on the planet. Well, the season starts in October. Right. So turning on them by February 1st is eh, that's all right. No, no, no. Last year started in damn near January, like December 22nd. So mm -hmm. if you're out by February 1st, you spun the block on him quick. Very quick. And, and part of the reason I did is just, I realized like there's, it doesn't, fit with the current construction of where Zach Levine was developing. Like Zach Levine showed at that point, like he's on a steady pace. He's taking this next step up. And Wendell Carter really, really struggled. Like it was that bad by the time we got to around February, where you were questioning whether or not he should be getting large number of minutes in the rotation. And I'm, I'm not the only Bulls fan probably that had this opinion too. Cause by that point you just, you, you didn't see it offensively. It was also starting to creep into his defense. Um, he struggled against some of the better centers in the league. And if you're not going to bring it offensively, you, you better bring it on the defensive end. And he still struggled against, you know, I get it. Joel, Joel Embiid's a top center. Nikola Jokic is a top center. Um, Nikola Vucevic top center offensively. If you go back and look at the numbers, he struggled a lot against those guys. And then it also carried over into other games too against inferior guys who might have had height advantages over him. Like you can't have that if if you're not going to bring it offensively, you better bring it defensively. And I think it was still kind of inconsistent by that point in the season. So um, yeah, when the when the trade for Vooch was made, I was I was pretty happy with it. Um, and I'm sure we'll get more into it, but. Yeah, I uh, I turned pretty quickly on Wendell Carter, which uh, and I, I look. I hope he goes on to to have a good career and a good season with Orlando. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he does turn it around. But I think with where the Bulls were heading and where they're at right now, I think it was probably the right move to make at at the trade deadline. You brought up Zach Levine a bunch. Mm -hmm. I've always been a believer, but last year, I think he pushed himself into the conversation of Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker. Um, and I know he, I think some people have uh, this last name, I'm going to say significantly higher than those two um, in Bradley Beal. Mm -hmm. To me, Bradley Beal is right there in that bunch. And I think um, while he may be the best player of the bunch, I think it's a very close quartet with Zach Levine nudging his way into that conversation last year that's so interesting hearing it from somebody that's not a bulls fan i think that's how a lot of us feel too um a lot of bulls fans feel like he's in that cluster like you'll hear that a lot when um whenever i think devin booker especially before this season got a lot of praise or, or bradley beal we look at them kind of the same like it's the same mold of players guys who are really adept offensively um so I think like that it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I think a lot of Bulls fans like myself kind of see him in that that grouping. Another guy that gets thrown out there a lot is CJ McCollum. Um, I think Zach is better than CJ. I think Bradley Beal is better than CJ. I think they're all better than CJ. Yeah. I think they can all I think some of it is just uh 
frame wise, CJ's frame is a little bit different than them. Um, Zach's an athletic freak. Um, Beal is sort of on the smaller end for a two at six, three, but like chiseled and explosive. Um, mm -hmm. Booker's a legit six, six. And then Mitchell's kind of tiny, but also there's just an athletic barrier that CJ doesn't hit. And I love CJ, but yeah. there's um, an athletic barrier and a physicality of say what you want about these guys. They can carry my offense 82 nights. And I don't know that CJ's body could withstand that. I think that's a very good point too. And it's interesting when, um, you know, you'll see like uh, other fan bases, you know, or you'll see uh, people on Twitter kind of throw out these random trade ideas. And you'll see sometimes when people throw out the trade proposals of Bradley Beal, um, you know, uh, I used to hear it a lot with Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, and they'll bring up Zach's name in it. And really to me, like, I, I feel like you're just kind of, in that case, like basically trading the same players for you're reshuffling other. the deck. Like you didn't, right. there's not going to be a ton of upgrade. Um, somebody might fit better with player X on this team and that might, but like yeah. from a general talent perspective, they're all within the same range for me. Same range, like same age almost too. So like, it's, it's interesting. Cause you do see that a lot. Like, you know, people will throw out those kind of things. And I, I always wonder like, why, why would you shuffle unless it is like a chemistry issue? You know, you're just looking to kind of uh, maybe you, you add another player doesn't gel with, with a guy like Zach, then maybe that's when you would, you know, make that kind of a move. But yeah, like to me, it's the same profile of player. No, no, they, they really are like their strength and weaknesses for all of them, but they're, they're the new class of two guards in the NBA and we're in a good place with them. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to just toot my own horn. I was very much when it was all-star time, I said, hey, last year, the league made the mistake of not having Bradley Beal in it. We will not have, I will not be a part of that mistake two years in a row. Zach Levine is averaging damn near a 30 ball. It yeah. is a crime if he is not in the all-star game. Well, and I was very happy to die on that hill. I, I'm, and I'm glad you, you got on that hill with a lot of Bulls fans because, you know, I thought he, you know, it was interesting in 20, in 2020, uh, you, I wanted him to make the all-star game. You know, it was in Chicago. So it would have been nice to have a, somebody from the bulls there, but I understood why he didn't make it in. It's a very deep guard class in the Eastern conference. I totally understand. Um, on social but, media. Yeah. I mean that, and that's, you know, that's no, no, no. just too. in, in when we were growing up in the nineties, yeah, it would be unfathomable, unfathomable for the host city to not have an all-star. Last year, they didn't have uh, Trey Young in Atlanta. The year before that, they didn't have um, Zach Levine in Chicago. But yeah. because of social media, you can be a star anywhere. So you don't need – but in the 90s, that couldn't have happened. You had to have a host player for the host yeah. city. Well, and I you know, I remember back in the 90s, wasn't the only way you could vote it was paper ballots at the arena – for a long time. And then I, you know, it, it got to the fan vote with the dot-com boom. Um, NBA.com is where I first started voting. Yeah, I remember. And like, you know, that was late 90s, early 2000s. That kind of changed the dynamic. But you're right. Like, there used to sort of be this, this like unwritten rule. You have to have somebody from the host city. Like, yeah. I mean, you go back to all those all-star games, there was at least one guy 
that was always representing whatever city they were in for the but game. But social media changed that. Like you could, yeah. that's why um, I just did a Knicks podcast with Chris LeBron and we talked about how your market doesn't matter nearly as much because you can, all you have to, if you can reach your phone, you can reach yeah. your fans. That's, you, you know, you're right there. And like, think about the dynamic of the league. Like you don't necessarily have to be a big market team to pull in uh, you know, a championship contending team because really like a lot of these guys, like if you have a superstar, like, you know, Giannis in Milwaukee and he wants to stay there, then he'll bring it players to him. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's I think that's also part of the age we live in too, where like these guys, they'll set up shop wherever they want. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's a necessarily a big market anymore. I mean, the big markets will always, I think be in play, but you know, it's definitely a different era and social media and Q score does matter more than ever. Oh, it boy, does it. So your additions this summer are Derek Jones, Jr. Um, Lonzo ball, DeMar DeRozan, um, Ayo DeSuma and Stanley Johnson. Did I miss anybody of importance? Alex Caruso. I did I think- miss somebody of importance. And I was actually going to say, I hope I didn't miss anybody because I have Stanley Johnson here and I don't. Hey, well, so the, with the bulls, um, I mean, look that this off season, I think, yeah, it was, it was interesting because I think we kind of all sensed the Lonzo ball move. And I, you know, now we know like with all the tampering investigation and everything that they're, you know, I think there was always an inkling that this could, this could happen. Um, I mean, there was sort of, you know, reports coming out around the trade deadline last year that the Bulls were interested. Um, but I think the DeMar DeRozan acquisition was a real surprise. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say you had information. I was going to say, I'm not tapped because that came out of left field. It did. You know, when Brian Windhorst had rumblings about it right before the start of free agency, that the Chicago Bulls might be interested um, I actually, and I, I feel like nationally the move's been panned a little bit. When I was hearing about it, I thought, you know, this might be actually a pretty decent fit um, because it really, I think, adds another, um, you know, on the ball or, you know, a, a scoring threat with a guy that can have the ball in his hands. And it's not just Zach, right? Like Zach last year was the only guy on the roster that could probably create his own shot consistently. And DeMar DeRozan adds that element. Um, And he also adds an element that I think is very underrated as a mid, you know, a half court facilitator. So you add this half court facilitator with Zach Levine and Lonzo ball, who actually, you know, off the ball is pretty underrated as a, as a scorer, as a catch and shoot guy can make cuts to the basket. So I feel like he brings that element to, to the team, you know, DeMar DeRozan getting, you know, being able to spread the ball out and get guys on the move in the, in the half court. But then you have Lonzo ball who can push the, push the ball full court. And you add a guy like DeMar DeRozan who operates pretty well off ball too with Zach Levine. I I like that a lot. Um, I do understand the defensive deficiencies, but I mean, look, if you could score points in this league, I mean, it, it goes a long way. So my thoughts are, you mentioned um, DeMar DeRozan as a half-court facilitator. 
I think he's going to run the bulk of the pick and rolls. I think he's probably Lonzo's the best passer, but I think DeMar's the more functional passer in the half court. Like uh, DeMar DeRozan pick and roll scares me far more than Alonzo ball pick and roll because DeMar's going to, he might try and get a bucket. He might zing it to the corner. Whereas I feel like Alonzo pick and roll, his first inkling is probably to try and pass. DeMar can just mix it up a little bit better. And I think he's probably developed into a better passer than Zach Levine at this point. I agree a hundred percent. You know, um, it was interesting at, at media day, Billy Donovan yesterday was bringing that up that, you know, having more of these um, one second, you're fine. Take your time. They're fine. So I think though, the one thing like that Billy Donovan brought up interest that was really interesting at media day is that the, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to have multiple guys with, with the ball in their hand and, you know, whether that's facilitating or being able to, to create their own, their own shot. And I, I agree with you hundred percent, like DeMar DeRozan can do that. He gives you versatility with that. Um, trying to get to my one train of thought and I lost it because of the dog. Um, but you know, like I, I think the one thing that, um, you know, Lonzo ball, um, Jesus Christ. And I can't remember what I was going to bring up. Um, um, just what he brings to the team. Yeah, no, I think what Lonzo, one of the things I'm really excited about is his ability um, in, I think, full court. Like, that's that's where I think he's going to really pay dividends, right? Like, and you're right. I don't want, like, Zach Levine, Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball, I think, is somebody that, like, in a half-court setting, like, we saw it last year with with the Pelicans. I mean, he wasn't really his strongest facilitating in the half court. It, it was really pushing the ball up the floor. And one thing I like is that you do have the the horses now to, to run that offense. Sorry that I gave you a very convoluted response, but I was. No, no, uh, you're fine. Um, you had mentioned the defense. Lonzo is a good uh, point of attack defender and Patrick Williams just wax poetic about him. Tell us what, what was his rookie year like? Well, Patrick Williams, I thought, showed you that he has chops defensively. The only concern that I have is, you know, he did struggle against some of the more athletic wings in the NBA. So when he was playing against threes, I think that's when he struggled defensively. But when he plays against some of the the bigger players at the four, that's when you really see him shine or at least last year that's where you saw him shine and that's what i'm like really excited about is now you have this potential with him sliding into the forum being in a position where i think he's a little more comfortable defensively to to stop some guys that might be a, a little bigger slower um and you know, i think he can also then on the other side of the floor run circles around them offensively uh one of the things and billy donovan brought this up yesterday at media day as well was 
you know, they noticed that like his conditioning wasn't quite there. And that's scary to think about because if that, if what we saw last year from Patrick Williams was not having like full conditioning and not, um, you know, being, uh, having the best endurance. I mean, that's pretty scary because he seems to like an athletic freak. He seemed like he was always pretty energetic on the floor. So if he's, you know, uh, in better shape now, I mean, that that's going to be very interesting. And I, I think, you know, he's in a role this season. That's perfect. He, he doesn't have to do too much offensively. What he can do on the offensive side of the floor is just slowly develop his game. Cause there's a lot there. Like his shot, he's got a good form. Like I could see him developing a solid three point shot over his career. I think he's going to get there. I think he has the athleticism to get to the basket. And I think, you know, we were talking about with, you know, DeMar DeRozan. I think a guy like DeMar DeRozan can do a lot for somebody like Patrick Williams in, in the half court. And then Lonzo ball could do a lot to help, you know, push the ball and get, get him in transition, build his confidence. Exactly. Get those easy buckets in transition. So I'm really excited. Now, the only thing that's, that sucks is, you know, he's dealing with the injury right now to his ankle. He'll be back, it sounds like, sometime in November. So the Bulls are going to have to kind of piecemeal it at, at the power forward spot. But um, I'm really excited to see what Patrick Williams can do once he, you know, gets his conditioning and gets healthy uh, sometime in November. All right. So I want two sets of starters, um, the starters without Patrick Williams and sure. then the starters when he's healthy. Yeah, so when he's healthy, I think, you know, the the lineup you're kind of expecting. Uh, Lonzo Ball and uh, Zach Levine in the backcourt, DeMar DeRozan at the three, Patrick Williams at the four, Nikola Vucevic at the five. I think that that's, that's your starting five for the Chicago Bulls when everybody's healthy. Um, you know, so basically you got a three-guard lineup right there. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think in the interim, it's going to be interesting. Um there's a couple of like possibilities that I think could, uh, could happen. Um, I think you could see a lineup with, um, possibly, uh, ball Caruso Levine DeRozan sliding to the four. He did that a, a few times in San Antonio. So you're really going with like this four guard lineup and Vooch could mm-hmm. be one possibility. You brought up the name, uh, Stanley Johnson. The reason I bring up that name, Billy Donovan brought it up during media day um, on on Monday that if Stanley Johnson shows something this preseason, you never know. He could slide into the four potentially um, in the starting lineup, which I thought was kind of interesting because you, you know, that was sort of a a late add on non-guaranteed contract kind of earning his way on the roster. So there might be an opportunity for him to get some minutes if they, um, you know, want maybe somebody that can bring it a little more defensively. Um, but yeah, they're going to have to get creative because um, like I mentioned with Patrick Williams being out, they're kind of limited at the four right now. There's not a lot there in the, uh, in the front court that they can, they can roll out. All right. We haven't brought him up and I am, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on what is Kobe white's role on this team. They added a lot of guards. Mm -hmm. like i know if i was kobe white and i woke up the first day of free agency and saw all that stuff happening like he was probably like oh we added damar yeah that's cool and like what another guard that's cool damn we got lonzo ball man all right alex caruso 
Like, I, I would have lost my shit. So, Kobe White, I think Kobe White might actually be feeling somewhat ecstatic. And I know that sounds crazy based off what you just said. But I think Kobe White's going to be allowed to do what he does best. And that is be the spark plug and combo guard that he should be. I felt like last year he was kind of a square peg in a round hole. Okay. Like they want him to be this facilitate first point guard, set up the offense in the half court, try to push the ball up, you know, full court. When he's not scoring or looking to score first, his confidence is shot. You know, if he's not in rhythm scoring, everything else kind of goes to shit. Um, I think in this role that they're going to put him in is basically a spark plug. So I have a feeling like Alex Caruso, you know, I think you're going to see Kobe White still with a lot of minutes. Okay. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if you see Kobe White finishing games in some capacity. So if it's don't stop, those, Matt. No, 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 no. I know what you say it. If you want to say it, say it. But Kobe if, White for sixth man of the year. Say it. Well, I don't want to go that. Look, I mean, it's hey, like, I don't know if it'll happen this year. I think there's still like because he he's now he's still I think finishing his rehab because he had the injury right before um like early in the off season and that kind of I think would have derailed maybe some of the you know chance to kind of get in with the the team this off season and do some you know training and whatnot. Um, so I think it's going to take some time, but I think he could get into a rhythm. And, you know, when I say finish games, if they need buckets, you know, why not put a lineup on the floor where you got your best offensive players, especially if he's in a rhythm and you put him on the floor with Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, you sacrificed Patrick Williams in that case. I mean, you know, why not? Um, You do what you have to do to get buckets. Like sometimes you have to do that late in late game situations, especially if he's cooking. So I really think that, you know, he could thrive in a role off the bench as a combo guard. You know, you bring up six man of the year. I would love it if Kobe White became like a form of a, a Lou Williams. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like people, I think in Chicago, I get upset because he was the number seven pick, but I've had a lot of number seven picks. Well, exactly. And I think part of the frustration is Bulls fans, because we had so many number seven picks, got into the scenario where it's like, okay, well, one of these guys, marketing, Wendell Carter, Kobe White, better turn into an all-star. So, like, I think we had these unrealistic expectations. If you were to tell anybody else that you're getting Lou Williams at the number seven pick, most fans would be okay with that. I think most... You you go back and redraft. There'd be a lot of scenarios where Lou Williams type players are picked number seven. You know, so you have to. I think you know, kind of as Bulls fans, I preach this a lot on on my podcast. You know, temper your expectations a little bit. Like, just don't worry about. Um, you know, don't don't think he's got to be an all star caliber player. Let him be the combo guard who can get you buckets in, you know, stretches of games, right? Get hot from three. Let him get, yeah. Let him get, you know, buckets in bunches. And that's, I think what his role is. And I think where he's going to thrive this season. All right. um, Two big subtractions are obviously Thad Young. And I want to talk about Laurie marketing. 
Yeah. Well, I want you to talk about Lori. What's going on? What are your thoughts? Do you have any favorite Lori memories? Did you um, drive him to the airport? Okay, so favorite Lori memories. Let me get to this. You'll hear this in Bulls Nation. Um, it's called uh, the the February stretch. In February 2019, Larry Markkinen had stretches where he was scoring 30 points a game and pulling down 15 rebounds. It was one of Laurie the best. Bird. Yeah. Larry legend. I mean, there were so many like things that people were saying and you know, it was cool to see because you thought maybe this guy could be at the very least a fringe level all-star, maybe get into that all-star caliber, but the league caught up. Like once they figured out that, you know, Euro step that he always did. And once they figured out that he really likes to, you know, park his butt at the three point line and, and not really get to the basket too much. I think that changed. Like, you know, and, and I brought up the Jim Boylan stank. I think, man, Jim Boylan in the 2019-2020 season really relegated him to the perimeter a lot. And from that point forward, it changed the way that he, you know, I think approached games offensively. And I think in a lot of cases, like one of the things that I noticed with him is he never could consistently put together games where he was you know, aggressive. It, it was, it was always like one game. He, he could go off for, you know, 20 and 10 and he could easily follow it up with like a, an eight point, you know, five rebound performance. And it, it just got too frustrating, I think. And, and given the expectation level, um, you know, it, it, I think it was the right move to move on. Um, and I also think, you know, when free agency hit, I think there was a fear that he could get paid. Um, you know, when you have those free agency classes where the crop is limited, you usually have GMs that chomp at the bit, especially for young players who are mm-hmm. seven feet, stretch the floor. You think you get them in your building, everything's fine. So I think some, you know, Bulls fans, and I think, you know, you read reports, the front office was worried maybe he could get, you know, that 18 to $20 million a year range. I think he ended up at like 16, 17 with the Cavs. Um, but you know, I think it's, I think it was the right move to, to move on. And especially once, you know, they brought in Vooch. Um, I mean, you are bringing a, a level of redundancy, I guess, but really it, I think Vooch is way more productive. I think brings you much more as a passer from the high post, um, has a much, much, much better game, low post. So I think it was the right move to move no, on. He's from, just a better overall basketball player. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And I get that there's youth with Laurie Markkinen, but I just think it didn't fit, especially when we, you know, we're talking about Zach Levine. Does that piece fit with Zach? I clearly over the last three seasons watching them together, it, it didn't. What, uh, who are you excited for the bulls to play this season? Like, are there any games you have circled on your calendar? Okay. So, um, when I, I've looked at the schedule a few times and there's this uh, stretch of games uh, in November that I'm excited about. There's a, a back-to-back on the Bulls' schedule. Not not back-to-back day-wise, but they play the 76ers. The two baseball games series thing? Yeah. They, they play the 76ers two games in a row. November 3rd in Philly and at the UC on November 6th, at the United Center on November 6th. I'm excited about that one because – Philly to me is one of those teams that, you know, they're in a state of flux and this could be one of your first games 
at the early point of the season where you can kind of show the rest of the league you belong or that you are, you know, part of this hodgepodge mix in the Eastern conference. Like after you look at Milwaukee, Brooklyn, it's kind of just a mix of just a bunch of similar teams. Yeah. And like Philly's this one team that, man, they could be in that upper tier, but like they're falling out of it. And, you know, with the whole Ben Simmons situation, we don't know what's going on over there. Um, you think it might be resolved by that point, but I'm, yeah, I mean, who knows? I'm looking forward to that, to, to those two games coming out of the gate. Um, another game I got circled on my calendar, uh, the first game against the New York Knicks. So the Bulls play the Knicks uh, at home November 21st. I'm really excited about any game with the Knicks because the Knicks, to me, I, I think what they did last season was really impressive. Um, Roster-wise, I do think on paper, the Bulls roster is better than the Knicks. On paper. I agree. Um, just, just given the pieces that you, you've brought on with Zach Levine's ascension, um, and I, I think that there's sort of the, like this, I, it's another one of those barometer games. Like, if you beat the Knicks now, are you stepping into where the Knicks were last year? It's almost like a litmus test. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a really good term, the litmus test, right? Like, if you beat New York um, and you show that you can, you know, beat those teams. So, like, teams like New York and the 76ers, again, then it's really showing, like, you might be able to avoid the play-in scenario later in the uh, in the season. So, like, I am curious to see how they do against a team like like New York this year. And then, honestly... Um, I, I want to see all these games this year against Brooklyn. Um, again, litmus test. That's the, the big dog in the conference. So I'm interested to see how they do against that team. Um, you know, am I expecting them to, to whoop them? No. Um, I still think the bulls are, you know, a step or two away from title contention. So I, I don't want to you know mistaken, you know, being too much of a fanboy, um, but I would like to see how they, you know, they stack up against a team like that. And I'll actually, can I throw one more in? Of course. Uh, matchups against Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, I look at like I look at the Knicks. You know, one of those teams that, you know, Atlanta kind of was like where I think the Bulls were, um, or like where Atlanta was last year is where the Bulls are kind of right now, where Atlanta. They made all of these big moves in the off season. They used the don't get anybody that sucks strategy. Yeah. Well, they, they, no, no, they got Atlanta picked up a bunch of respectable NBA players last year. Yes. And then the rotation was young guys and vets that everybody knew was good. And like the bulls went out and got solid vets this year. Like, Hey, no dudes that suck. Well, exactly. And what it's basically saying is, all right, well, we're taking this seriously. We want to take this next step up, right? Like, we know we have some in intriguing young pieces, but now we need to get, you know, tougher. We need to add veterans to the mix. And you're right. Like that's what Atlanta did. And you saw with Atlanta, it did take a while to gel. They ended up making a change at head coach. And then it really, you know, it, it, it pushed them into the Eastern conference finals. Yeah, I've heard funny things about that change at coach. Yeah. I heard that uh, they were hell bent on making that firing before uh, Bogdanovich got back because they were scared that 
exactly what would happen. They were scared things would take off when Bogey got back yeah. and then they couldn't justify the firing. So that's why he was fired. And then as the new coach came in, Bogdanovich is back in the lineup. And they they go off, right? Um, but like, you know, again, like that's a team that took a while to, you know, they kind of stumbled a little bit out of the gate. And part of it was, you know, injury related and also just like getting a group to gel. So like, I want to see like, how do the Bulls stack up against that team? Because there there is sort of a similarity here with like, getting all these new pieces to fit and seeing how long it takes. So I'm, I'm definitely, um, definitely excited to see those matchup against uh, Atlanta. Also. You mentioned that you don't think the bulls are a title contender right now. So what are realistic expectations for the season? Yeah. So I think, um, I think competing anywhere from, and and I'll throw up this range four to four to eight. And I know that seems like, man, that that's really, you know, general, but again, given how the Eastern conference after the top two two go, it's in flux, it's in flux. Like I'll give you a, like even a win total um, to kind of put a little something more to it. I'm looking at like 44 wins. Now I know that seems kind of, it might seem a little low. Um, I know some prognosticators are picking them to be, you know, 500 or like around the 40 win mark kind of, necessarily agree with that um i think right around the 44 win mark i do think it's going to take a little time to get this off the ground you got a lot of new pieces coming in it does take a while for some of these things to gel yeah i mentioned patrick williams being out you know not having that piece in there um even kobe white to some extent he might be available early in the season but he's still you know he's wrapping up his rehab he's he's on schedule but it could take time for him to get ready so i'm thinking it might take a little bit but i think after you know the new year we could see this take off a little more and i i think they'll be right around the 44 win mark and probably anywhere you know in that four to to seven range um if they get off the ground running quickly then i think we are talking about them being in a position similar to New York or Atlanta where they're competing for a playoff spot without having to worry about the, the play in tournament. Okay. That's fair. The Knicks went 41 and 31 last year for a fifth, uh, 569 win percentage. And you guys were uh, 31 and 41 for uh 431. So if you get off the ground running like 10 win and it's 10 more wins. You're predicting about 14 more wins, but with 10 more games. Exactly. So that's, that's not preposterous because 10 more games that asks you for what a, maybe a five game improvement. Yeah. And something to keep in mind too. And I'll throw this out here, Rob, for your listeners is, um, you know, you gotta remember Zach went into COVID protocols towards the end of the season. So they, after the Vooch trade, they took a hit, you know, it, it took a while for things to gel right as things started to gel. Zach goes into COVID protocols. They lose a bunch of games in a 10 game stretch and it took them out of the plan, um, you know, scenario. So, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind too, with this, it, when they, you know, enter the season, you, you hopefully don't have to deal with that going into this season. Of course, COVID's still going to be something hanging over. Yeah. Um, but you know, the good news, according to, uh, 
Uh, Arturis Karnaschovas, the Bulls are um, have a very high vaccination rate. Um, I, he said they're not quite at 100%. They're hoping to get there, but they have a pretty high vaccination rate. So that might make COVID protocols, if anybody enters it, a little little easier to, to swallow. All right. Last thing. Um, Ayo DeSumo mm. can really dance. Like, that kid can handle the ball. He sort of reminds me of, of Victor Oladipo. I think I'm very big on Cam Thomas uh, getting to learn from Kyrie Harden and KD. Like, this is like my sleeper Cam Thomas. Like, wait, Ayo DeSumo is going to sit around DeMar DeRozan for 82 games, sprinkle in a little Zach Levine. Like, Mm -hmm. I think this might be a player who develops into something um, in the future. Uh, I 100% agree with you. So I'm a huge Finding Illini fan as well. So this, when, when that pick came in, I was ecstatic. Um, you know, so I think with him, you know, the, the knock on him going into the draft was, well, he's a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So, you know, those guys make great NBA careers. Yeah. Like, I think we have to get off this point of like, it doesn't mean you have to be an all-star all the time. If he, like, if he merges to, you know, he finds his one, one skill that he's really good at and masters it. Awesome. But if he's a guy who becomes a really solid role player in the NBA, um, man, sign me up. And the fact that he fell into the second round, I mean, it was, it was like, a, it, it was like the perfect scenario that could happen. Um, and I think for a guy like I would assume, you know, you, you brought it up, you get to watch, you know, DeMar DeRozan. You get to, you know, watch Lonzo Ball. You get to watch Zach Levine. Um, you get to watch Alex Caruso. Veterans that have done this. And I think the other good thing for him, he'll probably be, you know, in the G League for some of the season, probably just to get him on the court. Because, you know, he, he should be somebody that, if he has an opportunity to go play, go play. Um but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see him up here and and I think it's good experience for him. I'm not expecting too much in year one, but I, I look at this more as a long-term move. Like, let's see next year and the year after, you know, where he's at because he could end up becoming a key role player at some point. Yeah, he's just a good guy to keep an eye on and like keep in the back of your mind that, hey, the Bulls have him in the organization. Exactly. And hey, keep in mind, you know, Arturis Karnaschovas, um, he's got some interesting second rounders on his resume. Nikola Jokic being one of them. It was that was his guy in Denver. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's that's not bad if if you got a guy that you know loves his second round picks and that's one of them. I mean, might be good for Ayo Desumu. All right, um, Matt, plug your work. Where can they find you? All right, so they can find. First off, the Rebuildable podcast on any of the major streaming platforms, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever you use, you can find Rebuildable podcast there. Um, On Twitter, it's at rebuild underscore a underscore bowl. Tweet all the latest episodes there. You can also follow me on Twitter at mgentile88. Gentile is spelled Gentile, G-E-N-T-I-L-E. And yeah, I'm always giving my thoughts on on the Bulls, retweeting episodes. Unfortunately, because I'm Chicago-based, you get thoughts on the Bears and the suckiness that is them. So apologize in advance if you 
if you want to avoid those, but sometimes I do tweet about them. I have Justin Field on Justin Fields on like two or three of my fantasy football teams. Just like he, I stashed him, got him late, just hoping like, hey, if this dude breaks out, do I have a um, Jalen Hurt situation? So mm. I still believe I, I see that they're killing Matt Nagy's offense, and I mean, yeah, it's football season. Yeah, of course. And I'll give you one little thing there. If if I were you. Um, I, I would, I would cut bait. Oh, it's time <laughs> to cut bait. Good God. I, well, my only reason, and I, I know this is a, a basketball podcast. My only concern there is, you know, <laughs> I don't trust Matt Nagy to tailor any of his offense to, to accentuate his skills. Exactly. You know, I wasn't a huge Mitch Trubisky fan, but he did the same thing to Mitch. It took for ever to move the pocket forever it literally took the last stretch of games of mitch's bears career to do it and it's almost like when he trotted out there on sunday against cleveland he was like hey justin fields run andy dalton's offense mm, here's the offense we would use with andy have at it yeah, like, yeah not, not a good strategy showcase the kids skills 100 100 matt thank you for your time i appreciate your expertise once again you came here you drop knowledge, a full mic drop. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that is Matt Gentile of the Rebuildable Podcast. Please give him a follow. Give it a listen. And this has been the Show's Law Podcast. And like that, we out.